does Torah help encourage us, inspire us, empower us to develop our flexibility muscles and cope with situations that are far from what we might have anticipated? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. And very hard to believe that we are recording yet another podcast during the isolation circumstances and for many quarantine situations of the very severe corona plague, uh, this virus that, again, I'm hoping that anybody listening to this just very close into the near future um, is living a very different existence and things are back to normal and somebody listening to this podcast years from now maybe has no idea what we're even referring to, but living through very, very difficult times right now with uh, uh, terrible, tragic uh, losses of life uh, all across the globe, and many that are hitting very close to home for many, many of our listeners. Trying times, unusual circumstances, living, uh, rewriting the scripts of our lives to live very different uh, situations and circumstances than we would have expected just a few weeks ago. And I want to look at a comment, uh, Torah in our upcoming Parsha of Tzav, Tzav, the second of the portions in our book of the Ikra. And actually, I want to apologize. I've used the word Parsha quite a bit, and somebody asked me last week, can you just verify what Parsha means? I know we have a, a broad, broad array of listeners with very different backgrounds. Parsha is the term used for the, really the English word portion, which comes from the term Parsha, or a section. There are two common ways of referring to the Torah reading. One is Parsha, and one is Sidra. So Parsha, the word portion, and Sidra, like the Passover Seder, will have just in a few nights, uh, seder meaning something that's organized, following a certain order, and the sidra basically the reading that matches where we're up to in the organized cycle of the portions of the year. So in the parsha, or sidra, or portion of tzav, we open with a description of the uh, one of the activities in the temple, which might not rate as a high-end type of endeavor, and not the top honor that somebody might uh, consider, Um, and sorry, as I'm flipping the page over here, anybody who wants to find this text in the portion of Tzav, it's chapter 6 of the book of Ayikra or Leviticus. The opening verses, if you're using the art scroll stone Chumash, it would be on page 569, you'll actually see in the scroll bar on the side, they always note the theme of what's happening in the text, they call it the taking of the ash and the altar fire. And this was a removal of the ash of yesterday's offerings. And it was a very early activity done really before daybreak, each day in the temple, where a Kohen would be assigned or win really the right, a priest would win the right to have this role of scooping off the ash of yesterday's offering. And again, rather less than a dignified activity, it's not triggering the uh, atonement, as many of the other activities do. It's not something that's done with much notice or fanfare. It's still dark. You can't even really see this happening up there on the altar. But it is a mitzvah described in the Torah. And a, uh, again, something that's limited to the coin, to the priests in the temple. And I want to share an insight based on an ingredient in the description of the garments 
that is added in the next line over here. So basically, that was uh, chapter uh, 6, verses 1. God says to Moses, verse 2, command Aaron and his son, saying that this is the law of the offering. And in verse 3, the coin shall don his fitted linen tunic. He shall don linen breeches on his flesh. He shall separate the ash of what the fire consumed of the elevation offering and place it next to the altar. So he has to specifically wear the particular Kohen garb, the priestly uh, garb, to do this activity. And there's one ingredient, one word that I just mentioned, which is noted by some as almost stunning, and it's being placed over here. And that was the word fitted. He shall don his fitted linen tunic. There is a law regarding the garb worn by the Kohen that it had to be precisely fitted. No Kohen could just borrow his older brother's garment or hand-me-downs or just get a one-size-fit-all. Can't even use small, medium, large, extra-large. It had to be very precise. Now, this is not the first time we've talked about the laws of the priestly garments. There's a whole elaborate description back in the book of Exodus about each of the garments and the material, and it never mentioned over there this factor that the garb had to be precisely fitted. The Hebrew term, by the way, over here is midovad. Mida is the word for a measure. So midovad, the garment that was of the vad material, of the linen material, mido to his measure. So measured to that Kohen's specific dimensions. And in a uh, fascinating uh, thought on this issue, why it is that over here, specifically in the context of removing of the ash, is it that now the Torah adds this detail that it has to be a fitted garment? Either mention it regarding some more elite type of task, some more uh, well-known task in the temple, some more well-noted task in the temple, or mention it at the very beginning when describing the garments of the Kohanim. Why over here? So in a work called Parsha Parables, Rabbi Mordechai Kamenetsky, who has written many such volumes where he will find a, a theme in the Parsha and a fascinating parable to help understand the theme, uh, he raises this question. This is actually in his Parsha Parables number four. Let's give credit to the uh, source over here. And he addresses in his parable a um, an idea that was shared with him, a friend of his, a Dr. Abby Mendelssohn who had years back been a writer for the Pittsburgh, sorry, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, and probably many decades back, uh, this book itself was published probably uh, a decade and a half ago, and he's writing about this Dr. Mendelssohn being a writer for the Pittsburgh Pirates years earlier and describing that, for those of you who recall, the season of 1968, um, the uh, situation was such that the Pirates were no longer contenders, and there was a game late in the 68 season, which he describes having no statistical meaning any longer, and a ball was hit deep toward the outfield wall, and the then-famous Roberto Clemente raced back to try to catch the ball. And it was nearly impossible, and as reality was, he could not catch the ball. The ball hit against the wall. He was trying to slam himself up to the wall to catch the ball, but basically although it was quite a feat on his part and a great attempt, he failed to catch the ball. Instead, as he fell down now after crashing against the wall, managed to catch, to grab the ball that was now rolling on the ground and throw it and make a play which really ended up being of no consequence. But 
when one of the reporters asked Roberto Clemente after the game, I'll quote now, Roberto, your team is out of contention. There are three games left. Why in the world did you try so hard to make that play? Was it worth bruising yourself? Clemente was puzzled. In three short sentences, he explained his actions. I am not paid to win pennants. My job is to catch the ball. I tried to catch the ball. And Rabbi Kamenetsky uses this parable to pull back to our issue in our Torah portion. As he describes, when the Torah tells us that the clothes have to fit perfectly for a particular service, it's telling us that the job is exactly right for the man who is currently doing it. So whoever's doing this task, whether it be the most lofty, the most dignified, the most basic, the most limited, the least dignified, but if that's the job of the moment, if that's the opportunity of the moment, if that's the task that is needs to be done in that moment, then, and I'm capable of doing that task, I'm available to do that task, I have the talent to do that task, then I am the man for the job of that moment, and as he describes, uh, the job or the service that is tailor-made for the individual, the clothes must be tailor-made for the job as well. And really to reinforce this notion of the recognition that there's a match between the person and the outcome. But Kamenetsky comments, I once asked a high-level administrator of a major institution what was his job. He answered, in all seriousness, I do whatever has to be done to get the job done, and that becomes my job. So as we face different endeavors, different realities, different would have been wannabes what, what I would rather have been doing today, but if that's not what's available. And I have available in front of me other opportunities. We've shared this idea before, a theme I actually constantly come back to, of the, the mitzvah of the moment. I might have preferred today to be praying with a minion in a synagogue setting with a community. I might have preferred on Passover to be having a large, elaborate Seder with a lot of guests and sharing food and Torah thoughts with them. I might have preferred... X, Y, and Z over each of these very many different days that are painted to end up with a reality so different than that which we might have uh, tried to design initially. But as I face the tasks that are in front of me with the reality that, God, you've given me the the talent, the resources, the capacity, the um, ability to do these particular tasks, and maybe the midst of the moment is to be more thoughtful to the other person who feels more cooped up than I do, or to be more attentive to the fact that there's somebody else who's under greater stress. All ideas we've shared in the past, but this message over here in this parsha of the fitted garb, fitted to the person who's doing that particular task, can help drive home this message. We are getting very close to Passover, and um, good chance there will not be a podcast uh, coming out next Wednesday, which is the eve of Passover, Thursday Passover itself. And I want to give a little plug over here for the reality that we have opportunities that come up because of the fact that we're doing things a little differently to be that much more precise and that much more accomplished in what we're doing. And some of you know one of the pet peeves I have when it comes to Passover and Passover seders and the reality that due to no fault of anybody, the reality, the timing uh, of the day and people's hunger and young children involved, that many, 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 many people, many, many, many years, many, many contexts, end up opting to have their Passover Seder much earlier than the technical nightfall that triggers the beginning of Passover. And although we have the capacity to usher in a Shabbat early, we have the capacity to usher in a holiday early, 
But the mitzvah of matzah is particular to Laila, to the night, the night of the miraculous um, illumination of the firstborn of Egypt and the triggering of our exodus. And when uh, one is eating prior to night, they're actually not getting the mitzvah of matzah. That coupled with the reality, there is only one day of the Jewish year where there is a prohibition to eat matzah, and that is the eve of Passover. And technically, if it's two hours before dark, on what we call uh, Erev Pesach, the eve of Passover, there's actually a prohibition to be eating matzah at that time. Reality, for whatever reason, is that the uh, broad, broad masses of Jews, especially in places where you're, uh, after we've changed the clock, or in places like Cincinnati, where we've, you know, we're on the end of the time zone, and legal dark is pretty late. But if it's still daylight, it's no mitzvah matzah. It's a model seder. Well, this year, many, many, many people have the opportunity to kind of divest of the populist early uh, pre-Pesach Seder. If you're doing a Seder just as yourself on your own or just with a couple or just your immediately nuclear family, you have the capacity to do it a little differently than before. And even if that means your Seder won't be so long, you're not going to have as much time, people get tired and they don't even want to sing every song as elaborately, eating the matzah in the right time frame is far more significant than most of the other details of the Passover Seder. And if you uh, happen to spend less time singing uh, some of the songs or you skip uh, one of the desserts, uh, there'll be no big points off. Um, missing out eating the matzah on Passover is, is a tragic shame to not have accomplished that mitzvah. So I'm going to leave a little plug over here. We're talking about like doing things right achieving our tachlis, achieving our goals, trying to be a people of excellence. And when it comes to all of the different opportunities that we're facing that have replaced the opportunities that we would have wanted to be doing right now, we're trying to be excellent people who do it right. We're form-fitted to the tasks, and we recognize, God, you've made that my opportunity, I'm going to get it right. So let's try to do that with Passover, at least this year, maybe set this as the the new trend that we're, we're conscious of the fact that the opportunity to get the mitzvah right, eat the matzah at the right time after after it's dark, no longer daylight, and get that task done as well. We should merit that this is a rare, rare, rare reality and that we generally can get together with as much of our family and many of our friends and that we don't have to be dealing with solitude and isolation. But let's use our current situation to its best use the opportunities to be excellent, and in so doing, continue to strive always to achieve our tachlis.